So good to see you guys. I can actually see some of you. Fantastic. It's great to be here. Uh, Happy New Year, right? This is our first gathering uh, of this new year. Happy New Year to you if you're in the, in the room, if you're in town, and if you're not, if you're somewhere else, Happy New Year to you as well. And as we begin this new year, we're coming up on, interestingly, as I went back and read through some of the things we've talked about in the last three years around this time, uh, we're coming up on the third anniversary of us taking occupancy of this little space, of this beautiful little church. Some of you remember that. Some of you don't go back that far. Uh, we did our first service here, as I recall, Christmas Eve, Eve of 2018. You guys remember? It had the, the, the very odd stage with multiple, multiple levers, uh, levels designed for a bell choir and rails and interesting carpet configurations. Anyway, we, did our, uh, we rented sound and we did our first Christmas Eve, Eve service here. Then we powered it down and did nothing for a month while we remodeled. You guys, Ernest would remember the stage and all the things we built, everything we ripped out and painted and did the things. Um, but we're coming up on the third year of that. Precisely on the 20th of January was the first service that we opened for the public here. Some of you still haven't paid those parking tickets, and you should probably do that. You never know when you might run for office, I'm just saying. Oh, come on, 11 o'clock. You guys got to laugh a little. You got to give me something. Good grief. So anyway, that's, what, that's where we were. And the reason I'm saying that is because we're going to go back into a discussion of our values as a church, which we often do at the beginning of a year. Now, in 2020, we didn't do that. 2021, obviously we didn't do that. But as I've been thinking through, we have done almost as many services in this room to an empty room and a camera lens as we have done to people. Doesn't that feel strange? That feels so strange. Like what happened to the world and who ate it? So this pandemic, won't surprise you that we have this discussion, has radically changed us. It's changed everything. It really has. And I would say not entirely for the worse. For the worst. I'd have to ask a grammar major, which is the word there. In some ways, because of this, we are wiser, we're a little leaner, we're less distracted, we're maybe more committed to the things that we need to be committed to, and perhaps, hopefully, we're a little more willing to release the things that don't work anymore. Would anything have survived had we stayed clenched to the only things we knew when this all began? I don't think think we would be here. We certainly wouldn't be doing this. So you know this already, and this, is, this will tie all my thoughts together. Churches aren't fixed things. They don't have fixed identities. They're constantly in flux. They're constantly changing, right? They're made up of people who are asking similar questions over long periods of time. But whatever culture exists in a congregation or a faith community or a spiritual community, however you like to call it, whatever culture exists is what we agree to erect and maintain all together, all the time. It's not a fixed thing, Right? If you were part of a church that had a fixed identity, you would still be doing things in predictable ways, but you're not. That's not what we are. That's not who we are. And we share that in common. And this global pandemic has made us all think deeply, I would say, about what we want and need out of a local church. Some of you have discovered that during this time, you didn't need it as much as you were told you did. I just saw Amy and Blondie in the back. Hi, guys. Blondie's trying to hide under that hat so hard. I can see you under that hat. Sorry. little side note. I'm glad I have notes here because I just totally lost my voice. (laughs) Some of us have done some real deep critical thinking about what we need out of a local church to begin with. Many of our friends who are part of this community have been for a decade, have decided that they no longer need this. I think we need to just be honest about all of those things. I think about this nonstop. What will emerge, if anything? What phoenix will rise from these ashes, right? Anyway, we're going to begin this year, 2022, with the six or seven. It depends on how we're how I count them and how the calendar falls. A six or seven part series that will be a discussion of our values as a local church. We used to begin the year this way. We've skipped a few. So much has changed, it's time to look at it again. 
The fact is, also, our community has grown significantly. Now, it's grown mostly in people who don't live in Austin, but in case you hadn't noticed, look around you, a ton of people still moved to Austin during the pandemic. They just moved to apartments and closed the door and are barely beginning to emerge after all these months. A bunch of people are still finding ANC. They found us online, they moved to Austin, they're joining us. So with all the more reason, I think it's time that we engage a full, slow, intentional conversation about who we are as a faith community, what our values are. Many of you haven't heard us articulate this, and so it's time. You've, we've changed, you see. That's, that's the reason to do this every year. We evolve and we grow as we go, and so we've, we've changed. So you need to know, as we've changed, though, over these years, and I've been here almost nine of these 12 years, this little experiment called Austin New Church is still compelling to me. It still is something that I'm committed to. I'm still committed to me here, to you here, to us here, to us doing this together. I'm still moved by this. I'm still crazy about this weird little post-evangelical, post-missional, this crazy affirming, a little bit nuts, off the rails, wildly open-minded group of people that we call Austin New Church. I'm still, I'm still compelled by this. I'm still interested in what we do next. So welcome to 2022 as we begin to think through this. Now, in the past, I would have said, if these values compel you, join us. Or I would have said, be all in with us if this is the church that you can imagine raising your family in or the, the people that you love bringing them to. I would have said, join us or be all in. But what am I asking you to be all in with this year if church has changed? What's the fundamental uh, question at hand if all of this is in flux? What are we committing to? I believe 2022 presents us the chance to rethink all of it, which excites me because that's my favorite thing to do, to take a group of somethings and reconfigure it for new outcomes. If that makes you crazy, you're not going to last long around here. Let me help you find a better local church that will just stick to a plan. But that's, what we, that's who we are. What is the ask itself? That's what I'm thinking of as we, as we look at this. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to lead us through some conversation. Some of it will feel like it comes from our history. Some will feel fresh and new. It'll be full of discovery and analysis, and we'll ask ourselves, who are we now? What is our vision now? Where are we headed now? What's next for us now? What makes sense to stop doing? What makes more sense to start doing? How can we change or add or drop or clarify what we're about now? So lean in. Listen closely, friends. It's a brand new year. I say let's molt. Let's change. Let's grow. Let's shed. Let's be honest. What do you say? Nothing as I thought you might say. <laughs> Y'all, I spent many years in churches that, uh, that talked to you. I can't get this church to talk to me. So during the next, I just can't. What, what can I say, Willie? I just can't do it. Um, during the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the following thoughts. And you could find these on our website in some form or another or in written form if you've ever become a partner. We're going to talk about what it means to have an open and ecumenical and interfaith approach to faith, a, an open posture to people of faith from all traditions. We're going to talk about our value for corporate worship. Why do we do this? Why do we still do this? Why do we still come here on Sunday mornings? We're going to talk about our understanding of the social justice and its DNA as it relates to the gospel. In fact, we're going to make the strong claim, I would argue, that there's no such thing as the gospel if it's not focused on social justice. We never should have divided the two, right? And we're going to take that to every group we can think of, and we're going to push and march as hard as we can on all of those issues. Then we're going to talk about how we see genuine community, what it looks like, why it doesn't just happen, why it's worth fighting for, why it's worth building. Then we're going to have some thoughts about incarnational ministry, which is simply a way of saying our work is to be the body of Christ in the world. And then we're going to turn our thoughts to the role and the limitations of the, of the Bible as we seek to be a gospel-centered community. And then we're going to wrap it up 
in seven, six or seven weeks, uh, finally with a conversation about how all of these things empower people, empower us to impact the world. Now, I may tinker with a few of these, the order of these as they go. Consider that a rough draft. Don't hold me to it, but we're going to flow through these things. It's the, it's the components, it's the tenets of who we are as a faith community. And ANC is organized around the following, and this is written on our website, and this is our vision. Austin New Church is a gospel-centered community that seeks to love God and learn and live the ways of Jesus. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward there. We believe that there are spiritual, relational, and physical needs in every community, and social justice would say all of them must be addressed, and I agree with that. Our hope is to expose, experience, and engage those uh, needs in order to be good news to our neighbors, to our city, and to our world. That's, that's as briefly as we can say it. So today we're going to look at the first piece of that. What does it mean to be open, ecumenical? What does it mean to have an interfaith posture towards other people? Our statement reads this way, specifically regarding that, under values on our website. We see a community that is driven by God's vision for unity, to be bold and innovative in partnering across faiths, across denominations, with other churches, ministries, and organizations. We believe that together we can share the good news of universal love to a hurting world regardless of its ability, sexual identity, its ethnicity, socioeconomic or legal status, or faith background, or any other category you can think of to add there. That's what we mean when we say we are open, ecumenical, and we have an interfaith posture. Now, hear me clearly. I'll say this often in this series. What I I mean when I say we see a church or see a community like this, I'm not saying that we currently embody all of those values. We are a work in progress like any other community of faith, right? What I'm saying is that, interestingly, I can see traces over time how we're becoming more like this as we go, but we are, as ever, as all folks, always are, comma, a work in progress. Don't you love when I give you grammar there? We're a work in progress. So when I say I see it, I mean it's pulling me forward like the horizon pulls on us, but it's not necessarily fully embodied yet. We're working on it. We're becoming these things. I see it in the sense that it's, the, it's what I'm attempting to build with you, with your help and your talents together. I see it like a skyline, or think of it as a, as a mile marker. It's out there pulling on us now, compelling us to rise above the drama and the details of life together. It's, call, it's pulling us so that we can learn to become and develop the kind of people that we know we can be. And this vision is so important to us around here, and it's not because it's ours. Here's the truth. We believe that this is God's vision for humanity. I'm not even talking about the church I'm just talking about for humankind, we believe this is God's vision. If we were just calling you to some unique vision of a new church in South Austin, that's not even hard to do. All we would have to do is be slightly better programming-wise than the neighbor, and then you'd pick us. That's not what we're talking about. Ironically, what we're we're shooting for, I believe, is God's vision, which is written on your heart, but for for some reason, it's, it's so difficult to call people to. It's so hard to build together. Well, that's what we're after. If I was asked to... To summarize this in a single word, I would simply use the word unity. It's what I think it's all about. So hear this. We're not the only thing God is, re- not the only people God is redeeming on South Lamar here in South Austin. We're not the only way to do church. This is not the only, only way to staff or, or, or to populate a community. This is only one thing that God is doing here in the city, and we hold it that way. We hold it that loosely. We're a thing. We're an expression. We're one way of being the hands and feet of Jesus on South Lamar. We're not the way. And we're not only on South Lamar. You see what I'm saying. This is just one way to do it. So what we're trying our best to build here is what we honestly believe is God's vision for all people, for all humans. It's not just a corrective or a critique of the various churches that we hail from. That's too easy to do. Let's all get together and build something that's the opposite of what just threw us out. That's not even interesting. That's not even compelling at all. I've personally served some amazing and some pretty awful churches 
in my 20 plus years of ministry. I really have. The same is true for everyone on our staff. We could line up an interesting list of places that we've served. It would be easy to build a new church on the we're not that vibe, but that's not, that's not interesting. And that will eventually, actually, it quickly just implodes on itself. It just becomes some other negative community that's different than where they were. We have to figure out what we're for. What is the bigger vision? What are we aiming at? What are we here for? You need to understand we're not experts in how this works. We don't consider our expert, ourselves experts in the art and science of church. We're learning. We're experimenting. We're going to tinker, and we're going to walk it back if things don't work, and we'll be honest about that. We're going to fail spectacularly at times. We've done it in the past. We'll get our wires crossed once in a while. On occasion, we'll even hurt some feelings. We'll step on some toes, possibly even hurt some friends, maybe even some very old friends. But whatever mistakes we make, we're going to make them trying something. We're going to make them trying something about how to be the people of Jesus in the city. We're going to create some sparks. We're going to race the engine all the way to the, to the red side of the tachometer. We're going to certainly swerve at times, and we're going to need to course correct, but we're going to do something. We're not just going to hold space. We aren't very institutional around here, or actually, I should say it this way. I'm not very institutional. I'm not a very good maintainer of things. Don't give me something and say, keep it this way. I'm going to reconfigure and realign to come up with new outcomes based on whatever you give me. That's just how I am in the world. That's the way my brain works. So if that comforts you, welcome. If that alarms you, hang on tight. Things are in flux. We're always asking hard questions at A and C. We may all be committed to the same values, but we all see different strategies and ways of getting there. It's just the truth about us. You see, unanimity isn't a my goal. Being unanimous about things really isn't worth aiming for as, as far as I'm concerned, but unity is. And the difference between unanimity and unity is important if you're ever going to get your head and heart around who we are as a community. Unanimity means we all agree on everything. It means that we group and regroup and then regroup again if we must around what we believe, around the, when things get tough, we, we just go down into who makes who and who's welcome here. We just throw a new set of people out until we, until we can feel completely safe. That's unanimity. It means that when we hit turbulence, which we will, we'll just double down on explaining or possibly yelling the things that we believe, how we see the world, who's right and who's wrong, demanding that everyone believe our version of the story or else they're out. That's unanimity. That's monocultures, and that isn't even compelling. Unity, on the other hand, implies a shared common goal, a common vision, something that we move towards together, however bumpy that road may be. In spite of our diversity and our variances and the different ways we see the world and the places we come from, and unity does not necessarily require our shared allegiance to a, strategical, uh, 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 to a surgical precise list of beliefs or methods. It doesn't require that we all see the same things at all the same times. It allows for divergence, you see, on the way to accomplishing a common goal together. So when we say we see a community that is driven by God's desire for unity, what we're effectively saying is that we've made peace with the fact that friction and tension and heated debates and often disagreements on the non-essentials will be built into the concrete. It's just the way it's going to be for us because unity is hard won and it's even harder to defend once you find it. But I would argue that the only two things on the list of essentials now are unity and love, you guys. I think everything else can bend as needed. I'm, it's not the same. When I talk about unity, I'm not saying that it's the same as a shared common enemy. That's not unity. It's not the same as having a, a, being against the same social issues. It's not the same politics. It's not the same worldview. It's not about believing the same things about the Bible even. And it has way less to do with theology and doctrine or apologetics than you may have been taught growing up. You see, unity is simply this. It's resolve to stay together. It's commitment. 
It's the hard-headed determination to stay together, together even when things get difficult and the work is hard. So get used to having hard and courageous conversations. If you're going to be part of this church, get used to speaking up for yourself. In love, of course, get used to tension and disagreement and struggle because it's built into the algorithm. Jesus said it this way, I have not come to bring peace but a sword in one of his moments of public satire, I believe, which is one way of interpreting this could be anything we build on the gospel that this teacher teaches, if anything we attach or tether to the words that he spoke, they're going to rumble and quake. They're going to rattle and shake from time to time under the pressure of tension and disagreement. To hold it long enough to be transformed by it as a community will take courage and grace from all of us. It'll rub us in different ways at different times. What am I trying to say as I describe this church? Oh, just that our open ecumenical interfaith posture is built on the assumption of unity and unity that's worth fighting for. It doesn't just happen. It has to be built brick by brick as people who are willing to understand their own God-given incompleteness, their own God-given interdependence, you see. We don't have the whole story in our own experience, and that's the way we were made. So ANC is not the church, in case I'm not being clear enough. It's not even the church in South Austin. It's a church when it wants to be, when it tries hard, when it lets itself be. We don't own this market. We depend on one another, just like every other person of any other faith, of any other time in history and space. We don't know much about what Jesus thought about the church. It was what we built after he left, but he was clear on one thing. We know what he thought about unity. He makes it a focus of his prayer in John chapter 17, and that'll be our text for today, and these words might be familiar to you. It occupies a big section of the of the middle of John. And this is how John remembers Jesus praying. Verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. And this is Jesus talking to the Father. That they may be all one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And you're starting to see the little poetic loop there. So that the world may believe uh, that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they uh, may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me, and even as you have loved me, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that, that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you may have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And interesting here, this is not Jesus referring to heaven, his glory. He's referring to his current state of mind, his current way of being in the world. If you don't believe me, go back to the Greek. It has nothing to do with the afterlife here. So when Jesus says, let them be in me so that they may see this glory, they're talking about, he's talking about that very moment. And he goes on and he wraps the thought, righteous father, the world does not know you, but I know you and these know you that, they, that, that you have sent me. I made your name known to them and I will make it known, to, uh, make it known so that... The, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in you and this and that and you and me and us and them. You're starting to see it. And that's what it is. I think there's more theology in John 17 than probably most of the rest of the scripture. Complete unity, as John recalls, was the content of Jesus' prayer. It was God's idea. And I just say, if you're gonna build a church, man, build it on that vision. Not on a new way of doing worship or new lengths of pants and trap kit versus no trap kit versus electric guitar or uh, you know, some new view of politics or socioeconomics or a fresh take on science and the Bible. Don't build it on those things. Man, build it on unity, on the messy, mind-bending goal of remaining committed to the same vision of the unity of the world while learning about love and loss and about ourselves and about others and about God while doing that all together. Oh, that's the best. It's the very best we can be. The Father and the Son, while one, 
or at least separate enough for Jesus to somehow pray to the Father, which is kind of a, a hard thing to describe. I'm not really sure how to help that make sense. Let's leave that in the category of mystery. The more astonishing thing even still to me than that is the fact that this is the same arrangement that Jesus implies that he wants with us as we are in him and he is in the Father and all things are in all things, all things are one. This is the same arrangement that he's, that he's talking about. What's the point here? Well, just that categories and distinctions implode under the weight of love made flesh. They simply fall away. Everything is folded into one single reality. Now time and space, all things divine and material collapse into God's desire to dwell here with us, in us. Hear me, everything is in everything now. There's no turning back. This, friends, has always been the one purpose of God, and this apparently will, will require us to begin to see our smallness, our own experience, our uniqueness, our painful particularity, our God-given uniqueness as one of many countless expressions of a whole. You see, the whole and the part are the same now. This is the theology of Jesus. The organization, or the organization of organisms, the signature is born on every part all the way down from the, the, the biggest you can go to the smallest you can go. And this, I believe, is the foundation. It's the reason why we could never be anything less than open and ecumenical and interfaith as we engage a world, as we, as we approach people of different experiences and different faith systems. However different or diverse those may be, however various their story may be, they are all still part of a greater whole. So what is our vision for this local church? What am I asking you to be all in with? What am I asking you to join well, humility and honesty around our distinctives. I love the way we are. I love who we are. But let's hold it humbly and honestly around our distinctives, around what, what makes us unique. But this is the challenge. We must also be open and curious around the things that make us one with all people in all places of all times and all faith traditions. We must stay open and curious. Otherwise, we're left with a gospel that's way too small to hold the whole story. It's just too small. This has always been bigger than just us. How? How do we do this? How could this possibly work, preacher? What are you talking about? I've only ever known a faith that dominates or conquers another and it shows power over another and closes the door and says, inside we're right and outside they're wrong. How could we possibly stay focused on what makes us one? Well, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't a flawless spokesman. He left many of the isms of his day intact to my disappointment. He could only see so far like any of the rest of us, but he offers us this beautiful metaphor to help us understand what Jesus means by unity. He offers us nothing less than the human body. And his thoughts in the book of Ephesians read this way, chapter four. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, somehow he's even a prisoner in the Lord, don't understand that, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called, verse two, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now he breaks out into a veritable Hillsong song here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who, who is above all and through all and in all and in all and one and in and everybody inside and everybody part of the same thing. You see what we're saying. Jesus goes on to say, in his prayer, let them be one, Father, as we are one, to which Paul would add this metaphor, yes, exactly, like a human body exists with a single purpose, despite the fact that it's made of many different parts. Every part is connected to, every part is findable in. Go back to your cellular uh, uh, college studies when you studied biology in college. Everything is connected to and everything is findable in the other now. 
So now I know what I'm saying here is bold. I know what I'm asking you to consider. It goes beyond sort of the fence lines of what you thought might be safe. There are, in fact, misguided people in the world. They are sometimes part of very difficult and evil systems sworn to destroy others. I'm not acting like they're, they're not. I'm not saying that those things don't exist. Like Brother Sean McConnell says, I don't think everyone's right. I just think most of us are wrong. <laughs> wrong how? By limiting the redemptive work of God to our tribe, to our way, to our nation, to our experience. How might we be wrong? By quantifying one another, now hear me closely, solely based on the actions of the zealots and the fundamentalists in that other camp. Every camp has them. They're the most vocal. It's mostly what we think world religions consist of. It's the ones who grab the headlines that rise through the six o'clock news. But they do the same. They see us the same way, you guys. Everybody looks at themselves. How could we be wrong about this faith that we have? How have we made it so tribal? We've not even begun to see how far it can go because we're responding to extreme examples from the other. No, no, I think we can do better, y'all. Unity actually is possible. I believe it's God's vision for humankind, not just the Christian church. It's God's vision for the cosmos. I've been inching my way here for decades and I'm finally willing to be able to say it this way. I finally feel the courage to say it. There's nothing in my experience that says someone else's experience can't be legitimate. I'm not telling you that what I think makes no, carries no weight or makes no difference to me. I believe deeply the things I believe, but nowhere in my belief system is there the permission to say, and therefore everyone else is wrong. I don't know if that resonates with you or if you're scared right now and you're wondering where you're at. I hope I'm saying something that you have known for a long time. I'm finally willing to say it. It's so much bigger than just our view. God's desire is that we be in him, that as Christ was in God, as Christ is in us, as we are in Christ, as all things are in all things, every part expressing the whole, not the entirety of it by any means, but a sacred little bit of it, a tiny essential piece, a valuable experience of the whole. That's the theology we're dealing with here. I grow in openness by the day. And if this place is, if that's something that you are experiencing too in your own faith journey, then I hope this is a place that you can thrive. If this is true, then everything is in God from whom and to whom and, and, and from whom all things flow in return, which will require no bloodshed. It will require no hate, no defensive, closed-minded theological treatises that lock others out permanently. It will require us to write nothing in its defense for it to be real. It will only demand enough love and humility, enough open ecumenical interfaith posture to accept that ours is just a tiny sliver of the pie. Well, anyway, this is what Christ prayed for in the garden. Unity, humility, the acknowledgement of a single source of life that flows through all things. And what does that look like, you might ask? Radical open-handedness, radical open-heartedness to all. Are we bold enough to ask for the same thing Jesus asked for in the garden? Are we bold enough to become the very thing we ask for? That might be the only question worth asking at this point. I pray we are. I pray we are. Join with me in prayer. Why don't you...